Yo, what is up, guys? It's Christian Millsaps here. Going to get into some great action. We're going to be talking about All-Star Weekend. We're going to be talking about the Chelsea versus Manchester United match, which had a lot to talk about. We're also going to be looking at the UCL and all of those matches that happened Tuesday and Wednesday. And we're going to be talking about Manchester City's ban from UEFA competition for the next two years. Without further ado, let's get into it, guys. I'm sure everybody tuned in this weekend to watch the All-Star Weekend, especially Aaron Gordon, getting another shot at taking home the dunk contest title. It was a fantastic, impressive dunk contest. There were a lot of great dunks, and Derek Jones and Aaron Gordon gave us what we were hoping for. It's It was the best dunk contest since Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon faced off, and it ceased to amaze us. But at the end of the day, Everybody once again felt like Aaron Gordon was robbed, and I definitely think so. Derek Jones obviously had a really great contest. The jumping over the guy, throwing it off the backboard, under the legs, that was a great dunk. Otherwise, I thought Derek Jones had a fairly eh, dunk contest. A lot of people might disagree, but when you compare what Gordon did with his jam, well, his, both of his dunks, in the beginning over Chance the Rapper, and then the 360 Statue of Liberty off the side of the backboard. I'm sorry, you you can't not give it to him after that. By far, my favorite dunk of the contest was his 360 Statue of Liberty. I feel sorry for him, and as he said in his press conference afterwards, that will be his last dunk contest. And as a fan, that's just so disappointing to see. Aaron Gordon has amazed us every time he stepped out onto the court to throw it down, whether it be the dunk contest or just any other magic game. It's sad to know that he's not going to be doing any more. Obviously, that could change, but at least he gave us something awesome and left us with a great dunk contest. Congrats to Derek Jones. Again, I thought Aaron Gordon should have won it. That 360 Statue of Liberty easily, for me, was the best dunk of the contest, except for Connaughton's slam over Giannis. That was also really impressive. And when I first saw it in real time, I was... I thought he actually just kind of hit the rim. I couldn't tell. I thought it was a mistake. But in slow-mo, to be able to jump over Giannis, even though he was, like, crouched a little bit, well, slumped over, uh, rather, it was a great dunk. But, unfortunately, wasn't able to get to the finals, and rightly so. Derek Jones and Aaron Gordon deserved it. I wish Aaron Gordon would have got the win, though. As a lot of people have been saying on social media, he is our people's champion. Surprisingly, the All-Star game was actually quite impressive as well. I loved the way that they formatted the game. It needed to change because it was getting really, really boring. So it was really, really nice to see them do something that will benefit others in a big, big way. So I love that LeBron and Giannis both got to pick charities and compete for those. I think it also meant a lot more to the players because it actually meant something to them. It wasn't just some game to come out, have fun, and just show people what you can do. It actually mattered, and it actually benefited people who really needed that money. And I thought that was a great way to do it. Hats off to the NBA for instating that. It also proved to be a much more competitive game. It was so much fun to watch, especially there in the fourth quarter. Teams really did start to play defense because they wanted to win that game. They wanted that money for those kids. I loved every second of it. It was really exciting. I mean, there were tons of highlights to choose from. One of my favorites was the alley-oop from Chris Paul to Ben Simmons. Russ throws it over to Chris. Chris, in midair, catches it over his head, throws it to Simmons. That was a fantastic play. I also loved the dunk that LeBron scored there in the third quarter on the fast break where he faked it behind his back. 
that was a great play. I had to rewatch it a couple times on YouTube just to kind of really see what he did. That was real fun. I mean, it was just great. The formatting was fantastic. And again, like I said, hats off to the NBA for really doing something that matters. I think it was definitely needed. And I think that it was by far the best all-star game that I've watched probably in my life, which granted isn't very long, but still it was great to watch. And it was cool to see all those kids get to get to be there and also get that money. So that was fantastic. Now moving right along, we're going to be focusing on soccer from here on out and I'm going to start off first with talking about the Chelsea Manchester United game this past Monday in the Premier League. Chelsea for the majority of the first half were absolutely crushing Manchester United. They just weren't able to get any real shots on target partly because Michi Batshuayi just didn't look like he knew how to play soccer. I mean his finishing was absolutely terrible. His fitness looked poor. He didn't seem like he was really reacting quickly And that really hurt Chelsea in the long run. But what also hurt Chelsea was the absolutely shocking refereeing and the shocking calls that were made by VAR. Now, as an American, I've been used to replay for my entire life because it's been in American sports literally every year that I've been alive. But European soccer is just starting to institute this. And it's really making a lot of people mad for this very reason. Replay does help in some ways. But in a lot of ways, it just slows the game down and makes it worse than it should. And I hate that because replay is something that we have been gifted by technology to try and correct games that should be fixed. But at the end of the day, I feel like it hurts teams and the fans and the overall product of whatever sport it may be rather than actually helping it. For example, the Harry Maguire kick in the nuts on Bashawai. In real time, I was kind of like, it didn't look that bad. And if you look at it in replay, just like the VAR officials did, you would think that it would be pretty easy to make the call and give him the red card. I mean, it was a lot worse than what Sun did to Rudiger, and Sun got a red card. So that was a terrible call, especially when later on in the 66th 66th minute, Harry Maguire made it 2-0 for United. I was so, so, so disappointed to see that call not get reversed because... I don't know, I feel like anybody could have made that call. It should have been made. And again, VAR was letting fans down. Not just Chelsea fans, but just fans in general from a neutral point. You had to be outraged about that. I even saw a tweet where a guy was like, I hate Chelsea more than anything. But man, VAR is really screwing them over, and it's true. Granted, Chelsea did hurt their own case because they did have 17 shots that entire match. But only one of them actually hit the target. And that really probably was... the bigger story of the game well I wouldn't say that it's probably up there with the refereeing but you know Chelsea played well in that first half and then Martial gets that goal with the header okay one nil Chelsea should be able to come back in the second right well no that didn't happen that way and in the 66th minute like I said Harry Maguire who shouldn't have even been on the pitch made it two nil and that was disappointing and Chelsea also had two goals disallowed because of VAR the first being the push from Azpilicueta, which I think was a bad call because Azpilicueta was pushed, and I don't know what you want him to do. If his momentum is carrying him forward because someone behind him pushed him, what is he going to do? He can't just dodge the player in front of him. Or uh, Again, as a human being, it's pretty hard for the average person to just completely contort their bodies 
to not knock the other guy over. So I don't think that should have been a foul. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I found a lot of neutral fans agreed. The second goal that was disallowed was one that Olivier Giroud scored after Frank Lampard finally brought him on. Again, I'm not blaming Frank Lampard, but I was surprised to see him take so long to get Giroud out there. And that goal was disallowed because of VAR, which again I thought was the wrong call because he was offsides. But the only part of him that was offsides was like his big toe. How's a big toe going to give you a competitive advantage in scoring that goal? I I don't understand it. It's an awful call for me once again. VAR had three chances to get the thing correct. And I feel like all three times they failed miserably. I think the Azpilicueta foul, okay, that one I actually feel like probably you could flip that up and I could agree with it, I guess, half the time. But the offsides call, and obviously the Harry Maguire no red card, two awful calls. And again, I know what offside states, but I don't think a player's big toe being offsides, quote unquote, should count. It's not giving him any type of advantage in scoring that goal. So I, I don't like it. And to add the insult to injury, not only was it a disappointing loss for Chelsea fans, but 10 minutes into the match, N'Golo Kante was also replaced because he went down with another injury and it's been really disappointing to see his lack of involvement this season due to injuries as well as we didn't have Tammy Abraham we didn't have Callum Hudson-Odoi either and we still do not have Ruben Loftus-Cheek so it's it's been disappointing and now we we look to next weekend to face Tottenham and then it's against Bayern which it's a lot for Chelsea and it's it's hard to come back from a loss like this in the way that they lost, in the manner that they lost. It'll be interesting to see how Chelsea responds. And it'll also be interesting to me to see how European football handles VAR because right now, I just uh, it's just not working. It's just not working. In other news involving Premier League club Manchester City, they were handed a massive 30 million euro fine and two years ban from all UEFA competition. Manchester City, their fans... And some neutrals thank UEFA are being prejudicial against Manchester City with these extreme consequences. I personally am totally okay with it, especially if what actually is alleged is true. These leaked emails and documents by German magazine Der Spiegel in November of 2018 show that City's owner, Zayad El Nayan of the Abu Dhabi ruling family, was mostly funding the huge 70 67.5 million euro annual sponsorship from the Etihad Airlines. And if that is true, then I'm totally okay with with what UEFA is doing to be basically funding every single ounce of this alleged sponsorship with your own money. That's, That's not okay, especially because if you're using that money to basically buy the success of the club, what are you telling everyone else? You cannot reward teams for just having a rich owner buying any player that they want, and saying, oh, look at how good we are. No, you're not good. You just used money that you didn't even get legally by UEFA's laws to buy players that, of course, are going to give you good results. That's not being a good club. That's just cheating your way to victory, and there's no place for that in any sport. Now, City aren't the first team to do something like this, but they are definitely the first team to have something as extreme as this fine and the suspension handed from a major European organization in the world of football. The fine, 
I don't really care about the fine. It's more the ban that I'm looking at. Is two years a little bit extreme? Okay, maybe two years is a bit extreme. But I think that UEFA does have to do something to prove you can't keep, and by you I mean any other team, you can't keep just doing whatever you want to get success. It's not the way to win matches. It's not the way to build success in European football. It has no place in the game, or any other game for that matter. It's disappointing to see that City did this, even though a lot of people kind of had a feeling that the way that they got all these players and spent billions of dollars these past few seasons, well, they probably did something a little shady to garner all of that money. There's no way they got it from sponsorships and ticket sales, shirt sales, etc. alone. There's just no way. And I'm glad that this info has come out. I hope that if this is being exaggerated, if City really didn't do maybe all that they said, but did do some part of it, then I hope that UEFA is fair, or that the Court of Arborations is fair, and really brings that suspension back a little bit, maybe lowers that fine just a tad. Otherwise, I'm okay with it, and I think it should be instated and kept. Because again, you have to teach other clubs that this is not the way to handle your business. It'll be interesting to see whether or not the Court of Arborations lets this stand, or whether they decide that this was an unfair way to handle it. Either way, it's going to be interesting to see how City themselves handle it. Many players, some like Raheem Sterling, have already said that if this does stand, he will have no questions about staying with City, despite the lack of European football. It'll be interesting to see whether other players follow his lead, or whether even Raheem Sterling is true to his word if the suspension is actually upheld, because that's a lot of time for a player in his prime to just say, eh, I'm just going to play in the league and not worry about UEFA. It's very unlikely it could happen, but I don't know if each player will have that same sentiment. Sticking with UEFA, we're going to be talking about the Champions League in the first four matches of the season in the knockout stages. The first one we're going to talk about is the Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid match, where Atletico, surprisingly, got the 1-0 victory over Liverpool in Madrid. Luckily for Liverpool, that match was in Madrid, and they didn't have to worry about suffering in a way goal. The only problem, though, is is Atletico showed that they can easily defend that club that's known for their attacking and not really have to worry about it. Liverpool got eight shots, but not a single one of them registered on target. They had 73% possession, 70, 726 passes, 85% completion, yet none of that translated into goals because Atletico and Diego Simeone are so, so, so good at getting that goal and then just protecting their lead. They've done it for years, and they're going to continue to do it, and they did it against a club that is known for their attacking play. I wonder if Liverpool will be able to go back to Anfield, really figure out what they need to do to break down that defense, and get a goal or two, will they need to, to really move on into the next stages of the Champions League. I think that it would be very unlikely and very difficult for Atletico to continue what they did in that first leg, especially at Anfield, the fans will be behind Liverpool, and Liverpool will obviously, especially from their manager, Jurgen Klopp, feel a lot of pressure to and motivation to really get this job done. I think Liverpool can do it. Well, I know Liverpool can do it. The question is, though, is Atletico going to be able to be as consistent as they were in that first leg there in the second leg? If they are able to defend in the way that they did, there's no doubt in my mind that they can keep Liverpool from scoring a goal. I think it'll be very hard for them to do, but I do think it's possible. The other question that leads me to, though, is if Liverpool do get the goal, 
how is Atletico going to handle that? Once that the leg is tied, what is Atletico going to do? They're not known for their explosive attacking play. They're not an attacking team. They're a get a goal, defend. Oh, we conceded. Oh, we got another goal. Let's defend again. That is their mantra. If the game or the score gets tied on aggregate, can Atletico generate enough attacking football to beat Liverpool at Anfield? I don't think so, but we'll see next. Well, not next week, but we'll see in a couple weeks, and I can't wait for it. In other news, Dortmund played PSG as well Tuesday, and it was a fantastic match, one that I was surprised to see the final score. 2-1 in favor of Dortmund against the massive parasite. It was quite extraordinary, and hats off to Dortmund and their young striker Erling Haaland, who scored two goals and is breaking Messi and Ronaldo's records in the Champions League for fastest goals, well, quickest to 10. He, he's absolutely playing phenomenal football. This kid is insane. He's actually a couple months younger than I am, which makes me feel really bad knowing that I'm sitting here and he's out there playing against guys like Mbappe and Neymar and doing a really good job against them. And I love the humility of him as well. In his post-game interview, he said, I played all right. I could have done better. He scored two goals, the second being absolutely amazing, a rocket into the top left corner. I mean, he piggybacked Dortmund and and did a great job. I thought Paris, PSG rather, it was interesting to see them not be able to generate more than one goal. They had actually less shots than Dortmund. Same amount were on target. And they didn't even pass it that much more than Dortmund. It, it was a great game by Dortmund. They defended well. They possessed the ball well. They passed the ball well. And they did what they needed to to generate offense. And that was fantastic. Especially because Erling Holland, his first goal was just a poacher's goal. He he reacted quicker than anybody. Got it over Kaylor Navas. And the second goal, I mean... <laughs> You're not stopping that. He just swung his left boot at it, and it, it was a rocket. He's playing great, and I can't wait to see what he does with his career. I also can't wait to see how Paris responds because I think if any year is their year, maybe not necessarily to win it, but at least have more success in the Champions League than they have in the past, I think it's definitely this year. It's been an interesting season all around. I think Liverpool, uh, an announcer in the Tuesday's match, said that, you know, maybe they're just not ready for this level of play because they've pretty much been on autopilot through the whole Premier League season. They haven't had true competition yet. Are they good enough? Are they aware enough, primed enough to win the Champions League? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how PSG responds because this, if any year is their year, this could definitely be it. Moving on to Wednesday's matches, we're going to be talking about Leipzig versus Tottenham, where even though Tottenham's been playing really, really great under Jose Mourinho, they just weren't able to pull it out against Leipzig. Timo Werner and company were just too much to handle. 16 shots, 5 on target. They possessed very, very well, passed the ball very, very well. Even though Davison Sanchez and Hugo Lloris were trying their best to keep them from scoring, ultimately they couldn't do it for the entire 90 minutes. Disappointing loss for Tottenham, but they will have a second leg to try and bring it back. I think Jose Mourinho has done a really good job with Tottenham. They've been playing really well under him, even though I think Pochettino is still the better manager. It was disappointing to see him go. I'm not even a Tottenham fan, but you can't dislike Pochettino. I guess if you're an Arsenal fan, you can, but disappointing to see. Mourinho's done a great job with him, though. I hope to represent the Premier League, they're able to come back against Leipzig. And the last match that was played yesterday was the Atlanta-Valencia game where, I mean, Valencia got steamrolled by Atalanta. Valencia may have had more shots at the end of the day, seven more with 18 total. 
but it wasn't enough. It was an even game, really. If you go back and watch it, you look at the statistics. But, I mean, they just were much, much more clinical. They had less shots, but they definitely used those shots better. Fantastic match by Adelina. I love seeing these two clubs, which you would consider smaller clubs, competing at a high level. And it's great to see the Serie A represented in a team that isn't Juventus playing well. Now, again, it's it's Valencia. They're not a major club either. But I'm glad to see Atlanta succeeding. It was it was a fun match to watch. Quite a bit of goals. And that's what you like to see. I think so far through the first four matches of the Champions League, we've got a lot to look forward to next week in our four remaining matches, which I'm kind of scared to watch the Chelsea match because coming off of that loss against United... Don't know what's going to happen against Tottenham. Might get absolutely stomped by Bayern. Uh, But we'll see what happens. We could get lucky. I'll take whatever we can get. And it'll be also interesting to see how Ronaldo continues his run of form. He's been playing absolutely out of his mind since December. Can he keep that up in the Champions League where he's been pretty tame so far this season? Continue that run of form and help Juventus get further into the Champions League. Can he take Juventus to the promised land? I don't pick Juventus I think there there are better teams I think Liverpool for me is still a side that can win I think that it would be awesome to see Dortmund that's just a hope I think Bayern's got a decent chance even though they haven't been great this season and I definitely think that Barcelona if they can get their act together and also try and keep all their players healthy maybe they can get another Champions League this season with that being said it's been a great episode I've enjoyed talking to y'all. I hope you guys have a good rest of your week, which is is a Friday. Thank goodness I'm so ready for the weekend and spring break soon. And I don't mean it like that. I just mean I just want to sleep. But anyways, you guys have a great rest of your week. Have a good weekend and peace out.